All right, so <laughs> you can cut it there. Obviously, this is in French. Uh, the point wasn't the French or the talking, but I guess in France they have this crazy television show. It's like a talk show where they have people on there with like insane laughs. Could you hear some of the different laughs that those people had? Right, and so like above their heads, they had the picture of the animal or whatever it was that they actually sounded like when they laughed. And like you get all these people together, and they would make each other laugh, and it come out just sounding like that, pretty crazy. How many of you, who do you think in this room has like the most insane laugh? Anybody have like a, a wild laugh? Listen, listen, the Kelleher slash now Revis family, like you guys got some laughs now too, right? I think we have like a dolphin. Jackie can do a dolphin laugh. Is that still true? Who else, who else has a crazy laugh in the room? Anybody? Who wants to come up and do their wild laugh for us? Anybody courageous enough? No? <laughs> I don't see anybody. All right. We won't embarrass people tonight, but you know, you point at your friend and be like, I know, I know, you've got the wildest laugh. <laughs> Have you ever laughed so hard or so loud that you like spit, like let's say you're eating or whatever, and you just like start laughing and you just spit? So I was at this restaurant with a friend. This is a while back, but I, ha- this, this, I just laughed so hard and I had just taken this big bite of food and I, it's so gross. All right, I'm going to say it though. I'm going to say it. If you throw up easily, like close your ears, okay? But I totally like, I'm, sit, I'm sitting at the, at the table. It's not a very big table and their food, their plates like right here, okay? So like I start laughing. I don't even remember what happened. I just remember it was the biggest laugh of my life because corn literally came out of my nose. I went, pluck. Like right in their food, literally landed on their food. It was one of those like I gagged because I was eating and I was laughing and it was like turned into this like I guess kind of throw up. I don't know, but corn literally sprays out and I like kind of threw up and like oh it was yeah it was disgusting and all over their plate and they were like oh it was nasty. I was so embarrassed. I don't think I've ever even seen that friend again after. I think that was it of our friendship. It was over. But like sometimes dude, laughing can be so so much fun. Right, you get with those people maybe that you just can't stop laughing once one of you starts, it becomes this like never ending cycle, and your teacher's like, Shut up! And you just can't stop, right? You just keep going. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about. And sometimes, listen, sometimes uh, we think about when I say the word joy, right? When I bring up the word joy, we're in the Christmas season, and so you're going to see the word joy a lot and hear the word joy a lot. It's something we talk about during the holidays, and joy is an awesome thing. And sometimes when I say the word joy, I think of happiness. You know, I think of laughing and I think of like those moments that are just so much fun. And really, if we look in scripture, joy isn't necessarily that. Like it's joy is so much bigger and deeper than just laughing or just having a crazy time or even feeling good and happy. Joy is this like much deeper thing. Joy is actually this gift of God that is so deep. Real joy can only come from him. The Holy Spirit gives joy to us as a gift, which is awesome because we talk about joy during the Christmas season, and the best gift you can get is the joy that comes from the Lord. And so tonight, I want to just investigate with you a little bit on how we can get joy. How do we find real joy in our lives? You know, not just the happiness, not just like those fleeting moments of laughter or fun that we have with people, you know, and, and then something happens and all of a sudden it feels like all oh, that's just taken away. You know, that thing that comes in your life and it just seems like it just steals all your happiness. And you can't seem to smile, you can't seem to laugh, and you just hit one of those downward spirals. 
But the beautiful thing about this gift of joy is that it doesn't do that. Joy isn't a thing that does this. It can't be stolen easily by struggles in our lives. Joy helps us get through those struggles and it doesn't get taken away from us. That's why it's such a beautiful gift. So I want to look at how we find joy tonight. Will you guys read with me? We're in Philippians chapter 4. We're just going to read verses 4 to 9 together. Philippians 4, 4 to 9. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So here Paul is talking to the church in Philippians about being able to have joy, like real joy. And I love that he starts by saying this. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And that word rejoice really like in the original language means like, Find your joy. Find your joy. The the place that you look for joy at, the place you seek it out, the first place you run when you want joy, he says, find your joy in the Lord. That's a huge statement. It's only a few words. It's four words, but it's saying so much. If we really find our joy, this thing that doesn't do this, depending on how your life is going, but it stays steady and deep in your heart, this gift that fills you with this contentment and satisfaction, no matter what's going on around you. That joy, he says, you can only find in the Lord. When you're looking for it in Jesus, that's where you really find it. Now, here's the deal. We don't always look for it in Jesus. There's a lot of places that we tend to look, and a lot of places aren't Jesus. We think we're going to find it in so many different places. And we're told all the time that we can find it in all sorts of places that we're never going to find it. So the world wants us to think that we'll find joy in money. Like if you get enough money, a good enough job, like study really hard at school, get like the highest GPA you can. So when you get out, then you'll really be happy and you'll have joy because you'll have money. But this is not true. There's too many wealthy people committing suicide all the time because they finally get all the money And then they don't really know why there's no joy still in their heart. And they choose to end their lives early. That that wouldn't be true if we found joy in money. Or maybe we think we're going to find it in like, I don't know, friendships and relationships and people around us and so many marriages end in divorce. It's like, wait, I thought thought that's where you were going to find your joy. We can't find it in people. We can't find it in money. We can't find it in success. We can't find it in any of these other things that the world keeps telling us. That's where it is. That's where it is. If you just get popular enough, you become that influencer. Stop whistling. If you find that influencer um, on YouTube, YouTube or social media or something like that, people know your name and they applaud you and they like you and all that stuff. And yeah, then I'll be full of joy because people will know my name. No. No matter where you look, You're going to come up joyless. 
You might be happy for a while, but we just saw what happiness does. It's just so much deeper. Look, there's too many of us that are running around trying to find joy and then showing up at church and in conversations with me going, hey, listen, I've thought I was going to like be happy if I had this, and I was for a little bit, and now I'm just so down and discouraged. So many of you in this room, we've had that conversation. I want to tell you tonight, you're not going to find it in those things, and that's why you keep ending up in this place. That's why your heart keeps ending up broken. That's why you keep ending up discouraged. Because you can only find joy, this lasting, steady thing in the Lord. Four words, right? But there's so much there to say about it. Then he says again, he's like, rejoice in the Lord. He adds a word, always. Don't just find it in the Lord, but like always find your joy in the Lord. Always. Now listen, if you're always finding your joy in the Lord, when will you have time to find it in anything else? You don't because you're spending all of your time finding your joy in Jesus. Which, what he's saying here is you're not going to find it anywhere else. You can't. It doesn't exist. Find your joy in the Lord always. Then he goes, he goes like this. He goes, wait a minute. Let me say it again. <laughs> I really want you to get this. So let me say it one more time so that those of you who didn't think I was serious the first time, you you realize how serious I am. He says, find your joy in the Lord. I think Paul's really, really, really serious about this. He knows that we need to find this joy only in Jesus because we're going to run around looking for it and we're never going to find it anywhere else. What places have you been looking for it? What places have you been trying to find it and you're like, man, I came up empty? Where do you keep running back to over and over again, thinking it'll be different the next time? And every time you come back, this is hurt. Who keeps letting you down and you think, man, that's that person, they're going to be the one that lifts me up and then they fail you. Where are you trying to find your joy? Paul says the only place you're going to find it is in Jesus. Then he says this, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So when you find that joy, right, when you have it because you found Jesus, all of a sudden there's this sweet reasonableness is the word. Like you become sweet and reasonable to the people around you, literally to everyone. So as you interact with people, right, even people who are being really, really, really awful to you, Like all of a sudden, there's this difference in your personality and your spirit, and you're able to respond to people with this reasonableness that's sweet instead of this like, ah, you know, anger or whatever we would normally expect like in these difficult situations. But instead, when people around you, they feel this like sweetness, this difference in your spirit because there's joy in your heart. You ever been around a person that's just full of joy? Like, it's incredible. It changes your day just being with them because they're like so like, upbeat and positive and there's something different about them and they're encouraging and it's like I love being around you I came in so like down but like your joy is spilling out onto me when someone really finds that Jesus is the only way and you're around them it's hard not to see Jesus really is the only way I'm going to find my joy it's amazing to be around people like that and Paul's like hey let it spill out of you people will see the change in you let them see that joy some believers nowadays, and I'm guilty, I can be like this too. Like we walk around and we're just like, ugh, ugh. 
You know, it's like one of those, like, man, how many times are you going to sigh right now, bro? Like, how bad is your life really? And, and some of us, it's not even that bad. We're just accustomed to walking around joyless. People aren't experiencing the reasonableness. We're snapping on people quickly. We're like sarcastic and rude. We're like, there's this thing about us that you would never know. You wouldn't know that I've spent time with Jesus. Maybe I haven't, you know? There's this joylessness in me. But Paul's like, man, if you have the joy of Jesus, it should spill out of you onto the people around you. So I want to ask you, will you be honest with yourself for a second and just think, how are people responding to me being in their presence? When I'm around my friends, how do they respond? Think about it for a second. Like, what kind of effect do you have on them? When you walk into a room, do people's faces light up with this joy? Like, wow, I'm glad they're there. I'm glad they're here. Like, being around you makes me feel like this, this, this difference. There's something different here. Or are you that person that walks in and it's like Eeyore, and like the second you walk in, everybody's like, oh, no. <laughs> like, uh, it's going to drag the room down. Now, this isn't, hold, hold on a second before you jump to conclusions. We're not just talking about emotions here. We have bad days. I get that. But we're, when we're living a life that's consistently showing joylessness, are we really spending time with Jesus? Are we really letting Jesus get to work on our hearts and fill us with this joy he promises? I'm not just talking about the bad day, right? I'm talking about this, this pattern in us, this change in us that happens as we really just focus on Jesus and want him more than anything else, and then we're full of joy. Is that the effect you have in your friend? He gives us the reason why we be, should be full of this joy. It's not just because, like, hey, I had a great day today. I woke up, like, I got a good score on my test, and, like, I, it's not one of those. It's not anything that's just, like, found in your daily life. Um, here it is. He says, the Lord is at hand. You know what that means? Jesus is about to come back. Jesus is coming soon. <laughs> he is like right there waiting. Like any moment Jesus could be returning. And that's such incredible news. It's such good news. Listen, we probably should have just jumped up and down and screamed right now when I said it. That's how good of news it is, right? There should be something in us that responds to that, that says, my Jesus, my Savior who died for me on a cross and rose again from the dead, who loves me so much. He's coming back. He's coming back soon. I'm going to get to see him face to face. Like my heart's filling with joy just saying the words right now, y'all. I'm so excited to see Jesus. And it should fill you with joy if you believe in him and have trusted him as your savior to know he's coming for you. That he thinks about you all the time. And that one day he's taking you to be with him in heaven forever. That is incredible news that should fill your heart with joy. And guess what? The world can't touch that. Can't take it away from you. The worst circumstance in your life can't change the fact that Jesus is coming for you. The worst trials, sicknesses, heartbreak, whatever, it can't affect the fact that Jesus loves you this much and he's on his way. That's good news because that means my joy is steady. It doesn't change. It doesn't get stolen or beaten down or fade. My joy is permanent because Jesus is permanent and he doesn't change. And he's on his way. 
So Paul says, the Lord is at hand. That's the reason why right there. That's why you should be full of joy. Not any of these other things we might be seeking, but Jesus is coming back. So he says this, if your heart's full of joy and you know Jesus is coming and that can't be taken from you, guess what? It gives you this power to do something awesome. You see what what it says next. Do not be anxious about anything. I don't have to worry about things. I don't have to live a life full of worry, wondering what's going to happen next and how am I going to get through this situation? Because I already know Jesus loves me. Jesus has a plan for me. He's stronger than every problem in my life. All I have to do is trust him and my heart fills with joy knowing, Jesus, you can do this. You've got it. It looks terrible down here, by the way. Like, I don't know. From this side of it, it's scary. It's like this tsunami coming to crash on me, Jesus. But you're above it and you can see the whole plan. So I can trust you. I know you've got me. Now, that's not always easy to do looking up at that big wave in your life coming at you. But when your heart is fixed on Jesus, knowing he's on his way, that thing can't touch your joy. Your joy becomes unshakable. You don't have to be anxious about anything. But he says, rather, instead of being anxious, here's what you should do. Redirect that worry. Redirect that anxiety towards something else. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, turn to God and pray. If a wave's coming, guess what? Drop on your knees and look back at Jesus and don't take your eyes off him. If there's a furnace and some king wants to throw you in that furnace for not worshiping his idol, you know what? Fall on your knees and pray and let him throw you in. Because God says, I'm coming through just like he did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that furnace. Your God has you. You can take your worry and you can throw it at his feet and bow down and say, Lord, instead of worrying, I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to throw faith at you and trust you and say, Jesus, you got this. And it says this, don't just pray, but pray this way. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Like, God, I'm going to thank you as I'm asking the thing. Because I know, even whether you give it to me or not, how it works out the way I want it to or not, I know your plan is awesome. It's better than any plan I'll ever make, so I'm just going to thank you now. I'm going to thank you for taking this little suggestion of a prayer I give you, and you do something way better with it. I'm saying thank you now, Jesus, for whatever this awesome thing you're going to do in my life is. You could pray that way, and that wave just doesn't seem as big anymore because you're starting to see how big your God is and he looms over that wave in your life. Stands over your problems and they fall in his shadow and you're like, listen, God, I know you got this. So I'm getting on my knees and I'm gonna thank you now because I know you're at work and I know you love me. And this really cool thing happens is you're down on your knees. It says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Did you hear that? This isn't just peace. This is God's peace. His perfection, his wholeness. There's nothing to add to it. It's finished. It's complete. It's everything. That type of peace where there's nothing missing anymore. That peace that blows your mind. Literally, it's beyond all understanding. We can't even figure out how someone could have that much peace when they're looking up at this disaster coming at them person that just came back from the doctor with really really bad news and yet they still have joy all over their face and in their heart and you say how is that possible did you not hear what the doctor just told you that person who just lost a loved one who's heartbroken yet there's joy all over their face 
and they're still singing praises to Jesus. And you're thinking, how is that possible? Don't you know who you just lost? In those moments where it seems impossible to have peace in your heart, that's the peace that passes understanding. Because in the middle of the trial and the hurt and the pain, there's Jesus. And he's like, hey, Rob, I'm coming. Coming soon. I have not forgotten you. I am on my way. That puts joy in your heart, you know what? And it brings this peace knowing my God has these problems. He's got it all. And then you don't have to worry. And this is what he does. He says, he says this next phrase. He will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So often when, I would say when I preach this or I hear other pastors preach this, I feel like it's just kind of like a lot of people blow it off. Like, okay, cool, yeah, like guard my heart and mind. Thanks for that. You know, and then we just kind of move on. And I wanted to dig in tonight to what that really means. What does it mean to guard your heart and your mind? That word guard is this like military phrase word that's used here in this. And it's like doesn't fit all this love. And like these other words just seem kind of like so emotional. And all of a sudden you have guard and it's a very strict military term. Like, why did you choose that word here, Paul? It seems almost out of place unless he's making a point that there's a war going on and that peace that he's talking about and that joy and faith that he's talking about that we all want. If we're honest, we want that, especially when you're in the middle of trial. When the trouble comes, we're like, okay, now I realize how bad I really need this. But unless things are going wrong, we usually just kind of go on with our day and don't recognize it. Paul says, you need to be guarded, protected, like this military wall around your life that's protecting, listen, your heart and your mind so that you can have that joy and you can have that peace. When you have that, it becomes a guard around you. And listen, here's, here's some verses to prove this. Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. Just listen, I'll read it to you. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Doesn't there's this like military talk here in this, like, like there's this army coming after us if we're believers in Jesus. We're targeted. There are spiritual forces that are real that do exist that want to see you lose your joy and your faith, that want to attack your heart and your mind. They want to see you destroyed. They want to see people push towards suicide and cutting and hurting themselves and self-destruction and depression and all of these horrible things that we see so much of today. That's not joy. That's the opposite of joy. That's exactly what Satan and these spiritual forces want for your life, to destroy all of it. Ephesians 1, 20 to 23 says this, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above 
all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. You know, the spiritual forces coming at us, it says that God has taken his son, Jesus, and placed him above, in authority above all of those forces. They don't even stand a chance. They could be bigger than that biggest wave of trouble in your life. And Jesus still looms over it. He's still superior. Kind of find our hope and our joy in Jesus. So as that enemy attacks us, we're wearing that spiritual armor that keeps our eyes fixed on Christ. It's crazy because we downplay this so much. We don't like to talk about stuff like that. We're so scientific or whatever it is today, or or maybe it's scary. And we just don't want to acknowledge the fact that there are spiritual forces attacking us. In the Old Testament, we see that there were these spirits that were constantly attacking, these demons that would attack. They'd go after Israel, and they would love to be praised as gods. They had the god Baal, who was this, basically this demon that everyone worshipped this idol, this false god. And the whole point of this, this, this false god was that he would replace the Lord God. He wanted to take God's place. He wanted Israel to stop worshiping God and worship him. And it worked so often. Israel was in this spiral of like worshiping Baal to replace God. Oh, that's interesting, right? Like, we don't see that today at all, do we? Like, it's everywhere in our culture. That's the strategy. It didn't just happen in the Old Testament. These same demonic strategies are trying to replace God in your life, make you love something more than the Lord, make you trust something more than the Lord, find your joy in something more than the Lord. There was this other goddess her name was Ishtar. And Ishtar basically was the goddess of sexuality. She wanted to basically see Israel and all these nations be perverted by sex in horrible ways, in disgusting ways that dishonored God and his plan for sexuality. That doesn't happen today either, right? Like you're never tempted through our social media or television or music or the million other venues that we have of influence in our lives. You never hear about people confusing their identity or their sexuality today. There's no confusion at all, right, about that today? We are in the thick of it, y'all. These same spirits, these same demonic forces that were trying to wreak havoc and replace the Lord and cause sexual perversion and confusion, and so many others. I'm not even going to list tonight. It's the same strategy. There's nothing new. The problem is we're ignoring it today. We're trying to find our happiness in these things. Instead, we could have lasting joy in Jesus if we would wake up to the fact that we're being attacked. Rob, how do you know they actually like attack us here? Well, Mark 5, 1 to 20 talks about how Jesus sees this like this this demon-possessed guy runs up to him after Jesus gets out of the boat, and the demon-possessed guy sees him and falls on his face before Jesus, like, don't hurt us. Like, who are you? And he calls out his name. He's like, we're legion. He's like, I, I have a bunch of demons in me. Basically, all these demons respond to Jesus that have possessed this man. Don't kill us. Don't do evil. Like, just leave us alone. Cast us in those pigs instead. 
And Jesus casts them into the pigs. And the first thing that happens is these pigs run off, jump off a cliff and die. It's like destruction. Like that's what demons do. That's what the plan is. If you didn't know that by now, the plan is to destroy you. One thing they asked Jesus before he cast them into the pigs was let us stay here. Like, put us in the pigs so we don't have to leave the country. We like being here because there's a bunch of people around here who have turned their backs on God, and we love being around here. We want to be in their hearts. We want to be in their minds. We want to influence these people and be here. We like this place and these people. Jesus, let us stay here. Even if you just cast us into the pigs, let us stay in these dirty pigs over here. You see, demons are still doing that to us today. There's still spiritual warfare right here in Merritt Island. Attacking you, strategically wanting you to be demised. To steal your joy. Take that peace that God offers you and just trample it on the ground. We have to come to a point where we recognize that this is a real thing. There's a war over people, over our hearts and our minds. No, Rob, that's not true. Oh, yeah? Well, how come every politician's out there trying to campaign for what? For your vote, for you to follow them, right? To get your heart and your mind and your vote. They want you to follow them as leaders. How about companies that put ads out there trying to do what? To attract your mind and your heart to buy their products and fall in love with what they have to sell. How about celebrities who want you to follow them and watch their movies and buy their products? Why? Because they want your heart and your mind. Your loyalty. They want you to be a fan of them. Social media. Listen, the list goes on and on all around us. There is a war over your heart and your mind. And that is exactly what Paul just said, to guard your heart and your mind. You need that joy of the Lord to protect you, to give you that peace, because there is a war over your heart and your mind. You can believe it or not, but it's happening. So he says this next. He says, so finally, brothers, Whatever's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know who he's describing? Jesus. <laughs> you know who's honorable and true and pure and just and lovely and commendable? Jesus. Think on Jesus. Let him fill your heart. Let him fill your mind. Spend your time with him. He says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and here's what will happen. He says, and the God of peace will be with you. You want that peace? Spend your time with Jesus. Saturate your mind with Jesus. Saturate your heart with Jesus, and it will be like this fortress built around you, guarding your joy, right? Filling you with joy. So when the enemy does come, and he's coming, he's already attacking us, your heart and mind will be protected your heart will be full of joy and the peace of Jesus. Now listen, I don't know if any of y'all need a little peace tonight. But I guarantee you there are a few who have come tonight and you've got a broken heart. You stepped out of a house tonight that you were just like, man, I, just, I need to get out of here. It hurts just being here listening to what's going on in this home. This might be an escape for some people tonight just to be here right now. 
or maybe thinking about going back to school tomorrow, facing some of those people in the hallways. There are all sorts of things I could just keep listening situations. And maybe you've come and you're one, you're a person like that. You're like, man, my heart is crushed tonight. I could use a little joy. I could use some peace in my life. I just want to tell you tonight, it can only be found in Jesus. If you're looking somewhere else, stop. You're not going to find it. Turn to Jesus and say, he is coming back. And he's coming back. Will you bow your heads for just a second? John tells us that we need to abide in Christ. And if we abide in Jesus, that he will abide in us. My question, I just want you to ask yourself as we sing this next song in the quiet of your heart, will you just say like, do I really abide in Jesus? (laughs) Do I spend my day with Jesus? Do I open up God's word and say, Lord, speak to me like, Every morning I'm getting up and I'm opening the word saying, Lord, I need to hear from you this morning. Are you spending time to pray and talk to him? Say, God, here's what's going on in my life. I need to thank you for these things that you're doing, but I also need to bring these things that are, man, they're giving me anxiety and worry and heartache. God, I need you to be bigger than these problems. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus? Think about that over the next couple minutes.